Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a Thursday evening edition of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I am joined by someone who used used past tense host a wrestling podcast, co-host a wrestling podcast, a very good one called RBR Wrestling. Maxwell Bong, Maxwell Bong, Bach. Bong, yeah, he loves to hit the <laughs> hit the weed. Maxwell Bombach is here. Max, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. You mentioned RBR. It was a good wrestling podcast. Now that I'm not hosting anymore, it's a great wrestling podcast. <laughs> what? I have some questions about RBR before we get into some basketball yeah. talk. Because I want to, I want to get into some basketball stuff with you because I know that you're doing bomb boards and everything and i want to want to spotlight that on this podcast but um why leave rbr now maxwell so my wife and i have a child on the way Mm -hmm. and it is a combination of burnout and like the need to free up as much time as possible with a kid on the way uh so rbr we covered all of the mainstream wrestling and even though we ch- kind of changed the format of the show, I still felt like I needed to watch all of it every week. So I'm now saving the time of not having to watch SmackDown, not having to watch Raw, not having to watch Dynamite. Now Rampage is starting also. Cutting out pay-per-views, doing the four-hour show each Wednesday, and or three-hour podcast each Wednesday, and not having to do a Patreon podcast on the weekend. So it's one of those things where I, I love RBR. I love the guys. I'm still subscribed both as a listener and a patron because uh, I was a listener long before I hosted. Uh, but I am now saving myself like an extra 12 hours per week minimum. Well, you're you're filling hours. that in with basketball writing, though. It's not like but, those hours well, are going away. Yeah. So that uh, I wouldn't say I'm filling it with basketball writing. Mm. Basketball is the only thing I watch that's not wrestling. Okay. Um, so basketball is great because if my wife is watching something that I don't want to watch, I usually just watch basketball on my phone. And basketball is also something that if nothing's on TV, my wife likes to watch. Hmm. So it's it's always been very easy for me to consume a lot of it. And then writing about it is like kind of fun. It doesn't take up as much time as doing a podcast and I can do it at my own convenience. It's not like, Oh, I have to do this every Wednesday. Um, so I'll probably write a little less frequently, uh, after the baby gets here. And like, I'm only writing like once or twice a week right now. Uh, but yeah, it'll probably slow down a little bit, but in terms of just overall time, it'll still probably be a lot lower. Um, just because the amount of it's easier for me to consume a lot of basketball than to consume a lot of wrestling. Have you considered just being an absent father? I've thought about it. No, <laughs> no I absolutely have not. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I I'll, I'll start though. I'll bring that. I'll bring it up to my wife after we're recording. <laughs> I feel like that would solve a lot of your problems here. I'm just hearing a lot of this baby already getting in the way. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, it's it's tough, man. We uh, assembled like one of those uh, like electronic swing things to, mm-hmm. that you can like, put the baby in and stuff yesterday. Stuff's a lot of work. It's not easy. The uh, 
you'd think this stuff would just snap into place like Legos, but they have to make it a lot sturdier than that. So it's not fun <laughs> coming home from work and then immediately just setting up baby furniture. But mm. hey, it's, it's going to be worth it when the kid gets here. So what are you, in all honesty, Maxwell, what are you most excited about um, when it comes to becoming a parent? And what are you most afraid of? Uh, I'm so I have six nieces and nephews. So I've been around a lot of kids uh, in my family. And I am most looking forward to when they start to develop their own personality. And like once they start to form their interests, Uh, my wife and I both have a really kind of diverse array of stuff that we like or were into when we were in high school and stuff like that. So I feel like we're going to be in a really good position, no matter what our kid is interested in to like rally behind it. Like, yeah, go, go be in musicals or play volleyball, whatever, whatever she wants to do. We're going to get behind her. Um, So that's what I'm excited about. It's just to like find out who are you? Like, who are you as a person? Uh, And then kind of like nurturing and growing them and all that. Uh, What I'm most afraid of is like the first three months. Uh, Cause I'm, I'm a large guy. I'm six, five. I've got like big hands. Like I, I am kind of afraid of just fragile, small babies. Hmm. The first three months, the uh, having to make sure we're on top of the food schedule, having to make sure, you know, the bathing process is on point. We're changing them enough. Like, that first three month period where they're very small, they're very fragile. You have to be super careful about everything and just regimented is all get out as far as what their schedule is. That's like, I'm, I'm just dread. The beginning is like what I'm afraid of. Hmm. That's interesting. And especially the first part, you, what you said, it, it's good that you have that perspective now, because I wonder how many parents, because you had friends like that where you saw it with their parents, or I don't know what your relationship is like with your parents, but there is something to just letting go of what your dream is for your kid and like yeah. what you want them to become. And instead you'll be a lot happier if you just accept what they are and just push that, even if it's not what you anticipated or what you had hoped. Um, for sure. That just, it, it was just always uncomfortable to see that because I saw that with other friends or other parents. And I mean, there was a little bit with my dad sometimes where like, mm-hmm. I am an Eagle Scout strictly because my dad wanted me to be in Boy Scouts Got and wanted it. me to enjoy it because he was. And that was like one of those things where that was the entire, the entire reason and rationale for me sticking, sticking it out. And, um, it is interesting because you have to give and take, but there were other things that he, mm-hmm. um, sacrificer he got more into because i was into it but it was like a there's it's never gonna be all one thing or all the other is there one be honest mac is there one mm-hmm. thing where you're like this kid if it if it gets into this that's where i put my foot down is it cryptocurrency uh, is it <laughs> pro wrestling what is it uh it's it's not like entirely pro wrestling but kind of pro wrestling mm-hmm. um i'm trying to think if there is anything that i would be like oh no oh what if she's funnier to- than you yeah, I think that's it. Um, that would be that would be awful. If, yeah, if, if my daughter goes into any form of comedy and succeeds, I'll mm-hmm. have to like, I'll have a really hard time looking myself in the mirror at night before yeah. going to bed. Uh, I think the actual answer is probably just something that I don't have any frame of reference for. It's so, like if they got into like anime or something like that, which isn't too weird because like a lot a lot of people watch a lot of anime now. 
Um, but it would be the it would be one of the few areas where it's like I'm not into this. Christina's not into it, and I don't. I'm not really super close with anybody that's really into it, so I wouldn't know where to begin. That's fair. That's fair. I would uh, probably end up talking myself into it being similar to pro wrestling. <laughs> it's like and being like, oh yeah, I can see this. Yeah, uh, uh, Cowboy Bebop is a lot like Roman Reigns. I don't even know if that's a character or if that's just the name of a, a series, but you certainly said some words there. Um, mm-hmm. It is interesting because Maxwell, I have a prediction for you. When I when I listened to the show and uh, first heard that you were you were going to be leaving because I do listen to RBR every week, mm-hmm. um, my thought was, oh, he's never watching professional wrestling again. He's going to say he's going to keep up with it. He's gonna uh-huh. he's gonna try, but I will make it a point to reconnect with you three years from now and my guess is you're like well i have an idea and every now and then and i i, I have a Ooh. strong hunch that you will wrestling will phase out of your life i'm i'm intrigued because i i've gone into phases where i haven't been as into wrestling mm. but i thought about this the other day um between doing wrestling commentary and wrestling podcasting I'm fairly certain that next month will be the first time in my life I do not receive some form of payment for something regarding professional wrestling in like nine years. That's wild. Uh, yeah. So I think I'm too deep in. I, I was too deep in at one time to never be all the way out. Um, so I think I will occasionally watch it. And I feel, yeah, I don't know. It's It's going to be hard, especially like if I do pursue basketball writing seriously uh as seriously as i kind of want to it it could be hard i think it's possible but i imagine i'll still watch it fairly regularly but i am basically tuning out most of this month as like a concerted time to take a break type of thing and once you do that man it's hard to dive back in a month off monday night raw i I don't believe (laughs) you i don't believe you'll come back i don't think i'll watch wwe anytime soon Mm. I think I think I'll keep watching AEW. Maxwell R. Washington over here. I know. I yeah. I don't think I'll I'll keep up with WWE. I'll probably watch like WWE pay per views. Like it's hard for me to imagine WrestleMania rolling around and me not watching it. Mm. Um, but I I think that will likely be the extent. Like Rumble, WrestleMania, that type of thing. Unless there's drastic changes, and and I may watch NXT from time to time. But otherwise, I'll probably mostly just be an AEW viewer. Do you think if this was your full time job, you would ever you would be you would feel as burnout as you do? It, what like watching wrestling? Yeah, watching wrestling, doing the podcast. I think I would feel more burnt out. Really? <laughs> like, cause yeah, cause like on a week to week basis, I would always have the option to be like, "Hey guys, I'm not hosting this week." <laughs> or if this was my job and I didn't have an outlet and I just had to cover pro wrestling all the time. I I I have, I've been having a really hard time with the WWE product over the last year or so, mm. and I don't know that I could do it. Even if it was a lot of New Japan, a lot of a lot of impact. Um, where I know I remember you just being a big, uh, a big Josh Alexander guy. You you've been grinding the Josh, Josh Alexander Al- Alexander uh, tape. You you want to hear my most uh, controversial pro wrestling take, Maxwell? Yeah. TJP is the most exciting wrestler to watch in the ring. Bar none. 
I don't I don't think he's the most exciting, but I think he's really good. I, I've talked I've interviewed him and strictly from a pro wrestling standpoint, I don't think anyone understands pro wrestling better than TJP in the ring. I, I just think he is so good and so fluid and so different. It's so strange to watch it because it's just it, you, you. He does so much in such a little amount of time, and everything looks perfect. I don't know. I just I've always said that he just feels like he has solved professional professional wrestling. I've always I've always just like felt like there's a little bit of an it factor missing with him yeah. as far as just general performance and charisma. Um, but yeah, there's there's nothing that he's bad at. Yeah. There's nothing that you can point to and be like, oh, well, like TJP, he can't have that kind of a match. Or like, oh, when he does this, it doesn't look very clean. Like everything he does is is silky smooth. Um, You know, it's interesting because you do This Is Your Wife um, yes. on the Patreon uh, with, mm-hmm. you're not going to believe this, folks, your wife, Maxwell. Yes. And right. something with me now being in a long-term serious relationship, this is an, a new thing for me to mm-hmm. watch wrestling with my significant other yeah and i've never had this opportunity to just watch and see their faces and to see how a a non-fan consumes (laughs) the product and what they what they think of it i mean her genuine reaction to cesaro was delightful she's a big roman reigns fan now we have her roman reigns bandana for the dog um it it's funny because i just it it's interesting. So for you, will you miss having those moments on the couch with your wife watching this product that you know so much about that she doesn't know really anything about and then just talking about it? I 1000% will. I think that is going to be one of the things that I miss the most about podcasting. Um, just because it was a really fun thing to do. And I get really passionate talking about things that I've, I feel like I'm more passionate about historical wrestling than current wrestling. Cause it's, it's more fun to look back with the benefit of hindsight. I feel when talking about pro wrestling, uh, whereas basketball, it's the opposite. I love just conjecture and looking forward, but, uh, with wrestling, I'd love to look at it through a historical lens and I get really fired up about it and passionate about it. And Christina is a very like, dig her heels in when she forms an opinion type of person. So it's Hmm. really enjoyable to like be like, Oh no, this is, this is really good. You should love mankind. And she's like, I I don't like that. He's just getting hit in the head with chairs all the time. (laughs) I don't want to see that. Uh, So it's, it's really enjoyable for me. And that'll probably be the thing I miss the most is having like that sort of thing that we can do where it's, it's almost like a date night in a way, even though for her, it's probably less fun than it is for me. But like that type of activity has just been a great thing to have. What has she gotten you into that you did not watch or would not have watched without her? Uh, a lot of say yes to the dress is a big one. Mm. Uh, there's a, a lot of like TLC type shows. That yeah. I Same normally here. would not want to watch that. She will watch and then I'll be like, all right, this is this is good. You've gotten me into it. Um that have y'all gotten into the reality t- TV game yet? What's up? Have y'all gotten into like the reality dating show game yet? So she's not really a big fan of it. Mm. Uh, we were big into 90 Day Fiance for a while. but Oh, incredible. That, that just like wore on her patience too much. <laughs> uh, we, we liked the first season of Too Hot to Handle a lot. Mm-hmm. 
Are You the One is a show that she's really into. She got me into that. Uh, watched all those. Have you watched The uh, Circle? We never watched The Circle. The Circle is one that has been recommended to us several times, and we just never took the, the plunge on it. I uh I could I could say the circle is good. I we're almost done. We're on the last episode of ninety or ninety day fiance of F Boy Island. I wrote about it last night. It mm-hmm. is delightful, Maxwell. They're they're <laughs> different people. Like I, I, I always look at her and I'm like, these people oh they're they're technically humans. They're technically humans. <laughs> However, there's something entirely different about like I just they they live in a different world. They they mm-hmm. live in it's just a a mind blowing ninety minutes or sixty minutes every night where I'm just like this is the kind of conversations they have all the time like this is this is the day to day this is mm-hmm. this is amazing like this this I wish I could do this I wish I could do one day of this because there is a character on this show Maxwell where he accidentally blurts out that he he loves one of the women on the show. And this man is not familiar with her last name. He is asked her exactly. Let me check my notes here. Zero questions on this show, but he's fallen for. He's all in. (laughs) And she's like, I don't think you understand what you're saying. And you don't ask anything. Like You just tell me you have feelings for me and you have strong, but you literally have never, you don't know my last name. You, You don't know anything about me. I just want you to ask questions. I want you to make an effort. And he's like, but I have these feelings for you and I, I'll work on it. That's and that's amazing. how it ends. He never asks her a like, question. It's a, it's, just pre-decide that he's into her mm-hmm. without ever talking. That is, um, I, sometimes I wish I could live my life. Like right? That. It's so simple. I, I just, it, it's amazing. It's different kinds of people. What do you think, uh, Nicole and Azon, uh, is it Azon? Nicole and Azon, what was it? Azan? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The the guy who's in Morocco. Yes. That, <laughs> My favorite. That, I've never laughed harder at a reality television show than every time we would pan to that couple. Incredible. Yes. Them and uh, Larissa and Colt, and then like Larissa, like getting big time redemption in her follow up season, mm-hmm. and being awesome. Uh. Yeah, that was that was like a really fun twist when it was like, well, obviously Colt was always like Colt was never the good guy. Colt was a, a big weird creep. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Larissa, like full on Larissa babyface turn her second season was a, one of the more interesting reality show stories in a long time. What will you miss most about hosting RBR every Wednesday night? Um, not getting to like be able to vent or like talk about soup and stuff like uh, in a podcast format with with paul eric and will uh there were at least seven times this last week where i thought of something and i was like oh i gotta bring that up on rbr this week and i was like i don't i don't host that show anymore uh so that's probably the biggest thing is just not having a consistent audio outlet so it sounds like you're starting your own podcast no nah, probably not <laughs> <laughs> if i do it would be very infrequent it would be like a monthly podcast but you know no, what's funny not what i'm learning about you tonight maxwell is that you and i are wired very differently like we're wired very very differently and i like you go into it where you're like i i need to pump the brakes i need to be realistic 
from from the outset like i need to be like nope not doing that if i do that it's only going to happen this amount of times yeah when i get into something i'm like i'm doing this every day until i die (laughs) (laughs) i i feel like i get like that i i've i was like that with a lot of things and i don't think i have your longevity Mm. like i feel like you you've done a really good job of just being like I'm going to consistently make content. I'm going to do it all the time. I'm constantly going to line people up. I'm going to hustle. I'm going to have different people on. I'm going to write. I'm going to do this and that. And like, I can do that for about a month. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then my brain is just like, no, not anymore. This is why Uh, I'm bad at giving advice, Maxwell. This is why when young people reach out to me, I give bad advice, I think. I, I feel really guilty about it because I'm not the person to go to for this because you're not going to do it. Like my advice is, yeah be consistent work really hard and on the days that you don't want to do it you just you still just do it like when that i feel like i can do that with like my main gig mm-hmm. and i can't apply it to anything else like i don't have the ability to to just speak oh this is something i'm passionate about i want to make this my job and i'm gonna do it like that's what i'm i i just don't have i love that you brought that up because that's like been I don't think people have the space to do both, to have the day job and then dive all the way in on something else. Like the day job just takes too much of your mental stamina and your mental, like it's just, there's only so much your brain can really take. So if you're giving a lot of brain power to the day job, like you just don't have it. So it's like, it sounds great in theory. Like you do that, you make good money and then you come home and then you write or you podcast, but you don't have anything left you're spent Mm -hmm. most days and you're just like i I can't it's so much harder when you do that so like my jobs that i've worked in my 20s like i'm in graduate school now which has been great for this because i can focus even more time on what i'm doing right now but like that was always what i had to push to my family and friends of just being like i could have these normal nine to five jobs and i've had them but it ends up becoming a gigantic problem because my head and my heart is still in making the podcast and my writing work and not this. And I can't have a job where I'm giving this much brain power to that. I just can't. And I think that's another thing for me is that I'm lucky enough to have a job that I like Mm. and I have a boss that I like, which is like two for two as far as that sort of thing. So I think if I was in, miserable or even just not happy if i was just content at my job i might feel differently about it um but i i'm like happy enough there that it's hard for me to just be like, all right i'm going all in on something else yeah i think now's the time right before a, a child's born i think that's when you really want <laughs> that's when you want to drop everything and try try some new stuff out maxwell mm-hmm What's the worst that can happen? What's the, yeah. What's the worst that can happen? Uh-huh. Um, what is the hardest part you found about quitting something like RBR? What was the hardest part for you? Um, telling them that I was quitting. Did you tell them as a group? How did that go? I did. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a big time people pleaser. Like I, mm-hmm. I do not enjoy making people unhappy. Um, and a really good example of this would be so obviously my wife and I mentioned a million times are having a kid and we still have a few family members that had not gotten vaccinated. 
Mm. And we I didn't know where that was going. I thought you were going to say that they did not know that we were having said kid. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't no, want them to no. know. Yeah. Um, so we had to like have that conversation with people and I was dreading it. And it honestly went way better than I expected. Cause I think, I think for most, like for a lot of them, it's just like, Oh yeah, I just, I haven't done it yet. And like most of them were people that work from home mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So it's like, Oh yeah, they just like are not exposed to the general public. These are people that work at home and then just like see their family and that's it. So, uh, like I was just dreading having that conversation. Cause even though, I know I'm 100% the right. I know that that's something that they should do. Um, it's not something I was looking forward to just because anytime I, I might get some degree of pushback, it makes me really uncomfortable. Uh, so with quitting RBR, I just, I didn't, I wanted to make it as clear as possible that it was not anybody's fault and that it was a choice I was making. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were not I part of the Nick Khan cuts. Yeah, yeah. So I wrote it out. I knew I was going to, I wanted to give him three months. Wait, you wrote out a, a resignation letter? Yes. Uh, so I knew I was like, I want to give them at least three months. And I spent like the week before. I, I would say as soon as I found out Christina was pregnant, I knew I was not going to want to host anymore. Uh, so I sat on it for like a month and a half. And then I spent two months workshopping a letter not a letter like i dropped it in the mail and sent it to him uh like a yeah like a, a resignation letter style message that i sent in our group chat um so that was the hardest part was just it was obviously hard losing the, the platform and like losing the listenership and all that sort of things but honestly the hardest part was just telling them i didn't want to host anymore how did they respond positively i I, they all they all understood they were all really were they expecting it uh i don't know that they were expecting it but i had been open about the fact that i'd been dealing with burnout over the last year or so Mm -hmm. so i don't think it was a huge surprise who do you think they're going to replace you with i think i know but i don't think i'm at liberty to say oh interesting okay so there will be a maxwell replacement they're not going to go with three yeah, I and I don't know that it's a formal thing. It might be three. I I don't know for sure, but mm. there was there was one person that I know was floated out there a lot, and there wasn't really any pushback from anybody about it. So I I have a guess, but that's interesting. It. I like the tease there. I like the tease there. You can tune in every Wednesday yeah. night to find out who it will be eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, writing or podcasting, what do you what do you find to be more enjoyable for you? So, and this could be because I just started writing. Mm-hmm. Uh again like i've written other stuff in the past but um i find writing to be a lot more therapeutic Mm -hmm. i think podcasting is easier yes for me because it it doesn't require any work you just do it and you don't have to proofread uh and that sort of stuff and just make sure that your verbiage is on point you can just kind of say whatever you want and it's fine uh Writing, I feel like, requires a lot more attention to detail, and I'm very particular about making sure I don't reuse words and, and things like that. So I get um, really obsessive about it, but I, I find it a lot more immersive and sort of emotionally freeing in some ways. Like, I I wrote a piece about uh, Alan Iverson mm-hmm. and why I he's, like, one of the players that really shaped me 
not just as a basketball fan, but like as a human being in a lot of ways. And I talked about uh, bullying that I dealt with as a kid and things like that. And when I was done with it, I kind of felt like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders in some way. Like I felt refreshed and I felt renewed. And I, I never really felt that way podcasting. Uh, like podcasting is more of an adrenaline rush type of experience. But uh, yeah, this is something about writing. Just I feel like is very emotionally satisfying. Yeah, I think for me, I was telling my girlfriend about this the other day where I have started doing long form interviews on Saturdays with mm-hmm. bigger guests and like, I had Trip Crosby on last week and it was one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. But like that is the most I get out of podcasting is where like I have to be com- like so present and so careful with my wording, so careful with where it's going like scribbling on notes and being like okay he addressed that here so i'm gonna take this off and i'm gonna put this here like it's more there's more of a a dance to it there's more of an Mm -hmm. art to an actual interview than it is just like podcasting with three of your friends yes so that i enjoy the most that one gives me the closest but nothing still comes close because like i grew up writing and like i grew up reading the newspaper and going out on saturday mornings and memorizing the ap top 25 like that was that mm-hmm. was my thing I, podcasting came way later when writing um just as your full-time job just became uh, a difficult thing and uh yeah. just re- re- increasingly rare so you have to um diversify your portfolio all that sort of thing and the um real quick to mm-hmm. cut in the uh, memorizing the top 25 thing. Mm. My uh, similar version of that was I once brought the NBA standings to show and tell <laughs> preschool. That's awesome. Yeah. Speaking of NBA stuff, when I was a kid, uh, I guess I can say this now. This is this is horrible, Maxwell. Mm-hmm. So I was. Do you remember those NBA pencils? Yeah. Okay. Like the logos on the side, like the classic mm-hmm. logos and everything. So my mom never bought me those, and my best friend growing up had all of them and a sleepover one night i i didn't i've never slept well outside of my home like i've never been able to mm-hmm. really stay asleep i just get uncomfortable i don't know I, like, I cannot find comfortability in hotels oh anyway like it's just it's really hard for me to get comfortable when i'm not in my own own, own home going to sleep and i remember i called her to come pick me up and it's been 20 years now so I, I I think the statute of limitations is passed here, but um, I took all of his NBA pins and I acted like I have no I had no idea what happened to him. That's incredible. I took them all. Like I took all all thirty all thirty NBA pencils. Used them in school. That's well, it's it's kind of a good a good con because so many people had those. Right. He had like I I wish I I wanted I don't remember to the t if he remembered or he even asked he's like oh you got some nba pencils finally and i'd be like yeah I yeah did. yeah i did that's amazing <laughs> i i love that you took all 30 but it wasn't like i'm just gonna take two of my fa- like three or four of my favorite <laughs> team's pencils you just took the entire set but but it is like it is believable because i know so many kids that didn't even like basketball that much that had those they were so cool. Uh, that's what I yeah. wanted so bad. I was like, I, I need these pencils. And I don't even remember why my mom wouldn't get me those, but I, I do remember that. Um, I, I do remember every time a kid wanted to borrow them too, I'd give them a team I didn't like. Yeah. So you'd be like, oh, can I borrow one of your pencils? It's like, yeah, take the Indiana Pacers. 
Uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. I think the best looking ones were like the the purple raptors. The, the uh, pistons. Pistons look good. Because that was the old uh, logo, right? Yep. It was mm. like the teal color. Yes. The kings I liked. Oh, um, yeah. I like the kings. I'm trying to think who else. The hawks were black and red at the time. They had that one. I like that one. Oh, and the magic. Magic is mm-hmm. mm, chef's kiss. Uh, Maxwell. Yes. Your draft writing. Um, yeah. How will you... Like, what have you found in your draft writing thus far covering um everything that happened this summer uh, a normal draft cycle uh what your the prep work that went into it what did you what did you find you you liked about it and what uh what do you maybe not like as much about writing about the draft um what i like about it is getting a chance to watch basketball that i haven't really watched before um, so, like, finding games from the Turkish League and watching Turkish League basketball or, like, actually watching a full NBL game to see what Josh Giddy look, likes uh, looks like. That sort of stuff was the most fun to me because it was brand new. Uh, it was just so different, getting to see different leagues and different styles and things like that. Uh, so that's probably what I got the biggest kick out of. What I didn't like doing was so one of the easy like things that i would do is if i would like dig through like the espn app and stuff like that and see if there were still like game footage like for full games available places and i would try to make it a point to go to the easiest way to do it you can go to game logs on a player's like college basketball reference uh page or on tankathon it'll list like all of their individual stats for each individual game uh, to like better sift out weaknesses, I'd often try and watch a player's worst game for like guys that were at the top of the draft. And like that could be excruciating. Hmm. Like when you're just purposely watching a game where uh, Scotty Barnes has been put into hell by Franz Wagner. And it's a game that you've already seen before because it was a key game during the NCAA tournament. But you're watching it back. And you were just keeping your eyes locked on Scotty Barnes as he's going one for 10 from the floor or whatever. That's not fun. And it's hard because it's like I'm trying to watch it from the perspective of like I'm just watching Scotty. Uh, but it's easy to speak. Oh, look how good Franz is playing. But it's it's tough to like just focus on somebody who's doing a bad job uh, on that given day. Uh, so that was the part that I probably had the least amount of fun with and just like trying to find stuff. Like there was a guy uh, this year who I think I ranked him like 76th just because I had no idea what to do with him. EJ Onu, who played like division two at Shawnee State. And I could not find like a full Shawnee State game anywhere. Uh, so like that kind of stuff where it's like, all right, I, I cannot. I, I had him 72nd. It's like I, I cannot find footage of this guy. I like I like the tools. I like the clips I've seen of him at like the draft combine or whatever. But I I have not actually seen this guy play basketball. Like that that was the stuff that was hard. Who is your favorite coming in? Like your favorite player? Not necessarily who you think is going to be the best pro. Who is your favorite to watch? Oh man, um, I I don't want to like play right into your hands as an Atlanta guy, but it mm. might be Sharif Cooper. Oh, well, they, they, you, you picked the wrong one. Um, 
Jalen Johnson's going to be a player. My yeah, Jalen Johnson. Well, he's yeah, he's going to be better. Um, Shreve Cooper, uh, I just don't see any path to him playing any meaningful. I do. I I I think he's going to be a guy who struggles in the playoffs because of his defense, but he gets into the paint with ease, and and maybe that'll be a little bit harder with real defenders. Um, Well, no, I'm just saying with our roster makeup because like Lou is signed. Um, I don't like with bogey staggering with Trey, like Herder being the second lead ball handler. Like I don't, I don't see a path to a team that's trying to win the East playing somebody like Shreve Cooper because like, he's not even a change of pace from Trey. Right. Like I, so it's, yeah. And also teams just don't do that. I feel compelled to play him. Like my group chats, my Atlanta friends. I'm like, he's never playing a meaningful minute in Atlanta. Like the, no. the hype about this, I'm like, he'll go somewhere else and he'll get some time. It's not like yeah. Cole Anthony in Orlando. It's like, there's no path. Like the Hawks don't even have time to develop Cam Reddish anymore. Like there's, mm. there's no path for him. Jalen Johnson might have to play. Like he might actually have to play if DeAndre Hunter's knees a problem. Like there's no path to Trey Young. Like Trey's going to play 36 minutes. Herder's going to get backup point guard minutes. Lou's going to get 12 to 14. Like, there's just no path. And also, teams don't do that. Teams don't develop their backup point guard out of the draft, and then they pay him. Like, no, if he gets any time, he signs for a bigger deal somewhere else, and he bounces around for a while. Yeah, not when you're a winning team. Right. Um, And I think think rookies in general are more pro-ready now than they Mm -hmm. have been the last, like, 10 years or so. Um but still, like a very few rookies are coming in actually ready to contribute. Like very few of them are actually going to be a positive contribution with regard to winning their first season. Yeah, a lot of it's situational, uh, and it's just his situation. Yeah. I just don't think. I mean, he could be a like I tweeted. He could be a College Park Skyhawk, Mount Rushmore candidate for the next two years, G League. But outside of that, I <laughs> I don't. I think. I think he'll catch on with like a real, like as a, as like a real backup point guard. Mm. Um, but I think Atlanta is just tricky for him. I other guys I like a lot. Like I, I obviously like Cade just because he has a computer brain. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I like about Cade a lot, in it's sort of a, a hokey woo type of thing to be into. But I love that during summer league he was cheering his teammates from the bench. Like, on the bench, he was standing up, like, clapping, getting into the game. Like, he has r- some real leadership traits that I really enjoy. Uh, I love Jalen Green just because he's a ridiculous scorer. Uh, but I, the kind of players I like are, I don't want to say are, like, boring to normal people. I like guys that don't make mistakes a mm. lot. So, like, Jared Butler was a guy I really enjoyed watching play in college this year just because he's very, like, very. it's a very straightforward game. He makes good reads. He's not really going to blow you away. He has some like really nice, uh, you know, live dribble passing and things like that that he can do that are pretty flashy. But he hits threes from really far behind the three point line in college. Like he's going to hit them from three in the NBA. He plays good defense. He can't really be pushed around. He's not slow. Like I like I, I'm really drawn to guys that are just kind of solid, uh, which may be a flaw. Like I like guys that just do not do dumb stuff. And profile to have an NBA skill or two. So you love Davion Mitchell in Sacramento. Uh, no, I wouldn't say that. I, I was lower on Davion than the consensus. I had Davion 19th. <laughs> or no, I think I had him lower. Mm. Uh, let me pull up my board right here. So, okay, I had him 17th. 
So I, I was lower on Davion than most people, and I do I absolutely hate the fit of him, Halliburton, and Fox together. Um, it gets wow. tricky because Mitchell was able to guard up at times in college. Like mm. there was a game where they played Oklahoma State, and he did a decent job on Cade Cunningham, who is a legitimate big creator. Uh, but I just don't know that he consistently does that in the NBA. And then like they're talking like they're going to play three guard lineups with the three of them. You have to. And I think you do. Cause they like, they might be like your like first, second and fourth best player. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it, I, I really like Harrison Barnes. Um, but you can slide Harrison at the four and yeah, well that's, yeah, you would Rashawn Holmes at the five. And then, yeah, it's like, that's probably your, your best lineup. And like Fox can play defense, but he doesn't do it all the time. And Halliburton is still pretty thin. Like stronger players can just go th- through him. Uh, th- I just I I don't know how good that team is. And I know that that's not like you're not trying to get good right away when you're drafting ninth. But I just thought it was a weird move to draft a guy who is already that age. Like absolutely has an NBA. Like Davion Mitchell is going to be an NBA player because he is so good defensively, and his offensive game is solid. Like he doesn't, he doesn't make the best reads as a passer. He doesn't have the best court vision yet. He he didn't hit a lot of threes from super far behind the line, so his range might be an issue at first. But he's he has bursts. Like he's going to get to the rim a couple times a game and and things like that. Um, but I, I I just I don't see the vision. I think. If you were looking to build a contender, I don't like drafting with that level of redundancy when I think there were better players on the board and there were younger players on the board that were also better fit. So like it wasn't uh, you took him because he was the best player available thing. If that had been the case, I would have been fine with it. Um, But taking him over uh, guys like Franz and uh, or no, Franz was was right before him. Um, but, but a player like Moses Moody, like Moses Moody is somebody that I'm really high on that would have given them defense still due to his length. He's got a seven foot one wingspan, uh, but he also would have given you some shooting and he would not have had the same level of positional overlap. Mm. So mm. like that, that to me was the one guy that really stuck out that they passed on him. He was Moody. Interesting. Uh, your give me your biggest winner from round one of the draft and your biggest loser Ooh, okay um biggest loser i i hate to say it because i think he's going to be a good nba player i did not get the spurs drafting josh primo as high as they did mm. he's a gunner think, he was getting some shots up in summer league the man has yeah. no fear well, like the weird thing with him was that there were these murmurs that started to come out that like oh well when he played on his like high school teams and stuff like that. Like he, he actually played point guard and did this and that. And he, they tried to run the offense room and have him play some point in a couple of the summer league games. And it was not pretty, but this is what I, I will give Primo. Primo should have been a high school senior last year based on his age. So he was one of the youngest players in the draft and he was a productive college player. We know that he has length and that he can shoot threes. Um, so I, I don't think he's going to stink. To me, it was just one of those things where it's like, why was somebody really going to take him that high that you couldn't trade back a little bit, especially given how how much movement and how many trades there were in that like 12 to 26 range? I just have a really hard time believing that there wasn't a way they could have traded back and gotten him for less money. 
that's fair. Your winner. Oh man, I I kind of want to uh, let me think. I'm I'm digging through my grades right now because the the big winner to me was the Utah Jazz getting Jared Butler at forty, uh, which was just insane. Um, but as far as first round goes, I I really like Houston's picks. Uh, I like Jalen Green a lot. I thought Jalen Green should have gone too. A lot of people didn't have him too on their board. I did. Uh, I'm a big believer in Usman Garuba. He is going to be an excellent, excellent defender right out of the gate in the NBA. When Spain played the USA in their exhibition games, they were putting like Garuba on Durant. They were giving him minutes guarding Team USA's best player because that is how good he is. He played a really important role for a Real Madrid team in Europe that uh, like he was asked to do a lot. He was asked to guard other teams' best players. He was asked to do like make a lot of decisions on on both defense and offense in like dribble handoff scenarios. Um, he sh- he can hit threes out of the corner. He's not a great shooter yet, but he can hit him from the corner. Uh, so that I think gives him a path on offense. Alperin Shingun, I had really high on my board. Uh, I think he could be sort of a Demontis Sabonis type. Uh, he's not going to be a great room protector but i do think he's better than sabonis as far as knowing where to get on defense and what spots to be in uh and he moves his feet a little bit better laterally uh he doesn't have sabonis's range yet he hit one super deep three in summer league everybody freaked out uh but in general his shot was iffy overseas he made his free throws but his release was really slow it looked better in summer league but i don't think he's an outside shooter yet i think he will be in time uh, and then Josh Christopher was a guy that I was not super into. Um, but I, he, my concern with him was that in college, he, he had like 21 assists in 15 games as a guard who attacked the basket a lot. Uh, so big time tunnel vision guy. But in summer league, he had 21 assists in five games. He's willing to pass the ball now. He was making reads. He was finding teammates and he's a great defender. Uh, so even if his outside shot is a little iffy and it's going to have to get better, but if he can at least create and find other guys, I think there's a real path for him as a player. So I really liked them. And then I thought Orlando getting Suggs at five was a gift. And I really liked Franz Wagner. So I thought, I thought they had a fantastic draft as well. Okay. Maxwell, how can the good folks check out and uh, read your work now? Yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter at Baum boards. It's B A U M the word boards. And then you can head to my Substack. It is boundboards.substack.com. Uh, give me a subscription. I'd really appreciate it. It's free. It costs you $0. And you will get all sorts of cool basketball columns uh, sent your way. And I started in my last one, I started to incorporate clips too. Uh, so you can get sort of a visual representation of what it is that I'm uh, writing and talking about as well. All right. Well, go do that. Maxwell, thank you so much for entertaining me on my runs, on my workouts, um, when I just needed to get my mind off my own podcast and my own stuff. <laughs> um, RBR has been one of my one of my go tos to uh, clear my head and stop thinking about my own stuff. And uh, you know, it's I think that's what it is for a lot of different people. Is it's just a it's a it's a great escape where you can you can just get out of your own head and uh, just laugh. And I'm going to miss hearing you because uh, I listen on the weekends. I'm going to miss hearing you on the weekends, man. 
For sure. Well, I, I really appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on here as well to, uh, to talk about my, my new venture. And I hope people check it out. All right. Everyone's favorite absent dad, Maxwell Bombach. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, we'll have to check back in again soon. We'll see how it's going. Are you going uh, to be at Paul's wedding this fall? I don't know because it's a month after the birth of our child. <laughs> mm. Well, see, this is an opportunity to get a jump start on that absent father thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. <laughs> All right, sir. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for having me. All right. Hello, and welcome back to the Thursday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am joined, as I am every Thursday during the offseason, but soon, very soon, two times a week when college football returns and just... Uh, a few few weeks out, just a few weeks out. Um, I'm joined as I am every Thursday by fellow University of North Georgia alumni Matt Green. Matt, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Good afternoon, sir. I was uh, I was reminded of, of Ric Flair when he said that. I don't mm. know if you remember his WCW days when he was the two time, two time, two time champion. I don't mm. know if you remember that, but uh, it was iconic. It was Ric Flair. It's good stuff. I don't know if that's tongue in cheek. If you're asking me if I remember a pro wrestling thing, that's fair. You obviously, uh, you're obviously a big wrestling guy. Mm-hmm. I had my phase. I had my mm-hmm. pro wrestling phase, like late '90s, Degeneration X, NWO, mm-hmm. Wolfpack. You know, like ever since then, I haven't been big into the wrestling thing. So you don't really have a strong take on Hiroshi Tanahashi winning the IWGP U.S. title in New Japan. I thought it was a, I thought it was a sham. I thought it was rigged. Mm. It's nah. Fair. I, I didn't know where you were no going opinion. with that Ric Flair point because I don't know if you saw why he was twin. Uh, he was uh, trending on Twitter <laughs> yesterday, so I was I was concerned. I did see he was. This trending. is a family program, so I was was <laughs> quite quite concerned where you're going with that sentence on this Thursday afternoon. No, but I think he was like 45 years old, like the first time he ever became the heavyweight champion or something. And then he like lost, but then like immediately won it back. So then he called himself like a two-time champion. But that's not like a two-time national champion or something. You didn't win it all in 2010 and win it all in 2011 or something. It's like you you lost it. That's the only reason you got it back. So I don't know. It seems like a weird flex, but whatever. I mean, that's how winning titles works. Like he is actually the the world like he is the the world record holder um in title wins like john cena is still chasing if he wins this saturday at SummerSlam, he will he will catch rick flair break his record but right now he's just but tied. the only reason you can have that many is if you're also losing it mm-hmm. it's like i know saban had that quote a few years ago it's like we're not the defending national champions like no one's taking that championship from us we won it now this team hmm. is out with a new goal is their goal is to also win a championship you know so it's like that a 10 time college football national champion like that actually means something you accomplish something 10 times it's like to be a 10 time heavyweight champion you had to lose nine other times and then come back and win you know not 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 discrediting rick flair in any way mad mad respect but uh but yeah it just doesn't seem equal hmm i'm a little upset matt as my wrestling two cents though hey i always appreciate your pro wrestling two cents matt um (laughs) I'm staring out into my backyard and I got some new bird seed, Matt Green. And I went on the cheap route this time, went on the cheap route at Kroger. And 
not a lot of birds. I've only had a couple cardinals pop in. I don't know if it's because I went a week without refilling it that they they gave up on uh, me feeding them and keeping them keeping them alive in, in the backyard here in Knoxville, Tennessee. But no birds this afternoon, so I'm very frustrated that I've been working for a couple hours now and uh, have not been greeted with a with a multitude of of birds because I'm a I'm a big bird guy, as you know, and all I can see straight ahead is this <laughs> big bird guy is this obese squirrel taking taking my bird seeds, hopping around, and then moving back up to the the chain link fence and munching away. It's disgusting. Neighbor, it's despicable. My neighbor actually like created this little I don't know, Jimmy, this little thing mm-hmm. like uh, it was like a metal piece. And it was like he put it above the bird feeder and like so squirrels would get on it and they'd like slide off so they couldn't like eat out the bird feeder. But honestly, I'm not a big bird guy. So when I see these birds around my house, like I want them to get the hell away from my house. So I'm not I'm not I'm definitely not the guy that's feeding them when they get close to me. That is that is not what I want to hear. I was okay with I the mean, Ric Flair they, point, I'm but this was... I'm not killing the birds. I'm not shooting or anything. Just my mm-hmm. house is not for them. It's not the place for them to find food. Well, is that just because your your two Rottweilers are gobbling it all up? No, I don't... I mean, mm. I'm sure they would be barking at birds and stuff, but we got a rabbit that, like, taunts them on the other side of the fence, mm-hmm. like, every morning. But, um, but no, it's just not my thing. Okay. Uh, I mean, like, this is something, another opportunity for your significant other uh, to to increase her Instagram clout is by creating <laughs> dishes for some, some tequila native birds in the backyard. Some, some tequila falcons, mm-hmm, the native mm-hmm. falcons. I see what you did there. That's a, uh, that's a valid point. I um, haven't thought about that. I actually got Maddox in the studio with me today. So Do you? Hopefully he's on his best behavior. I'm getting the uh, loud outburst. How's Zeus the ACL? Is the one, <laughs> Zeus is the one that's like that, that rattles the whole house when he's barking. So yeah, maybe maybe separated they'll be good. Interesting. Yeah, because he's a lot bigger. Is is Maddox anywhere close to the size of Zeus at this point? No, and he won't get anywhere close. I feel like he might he might be half as big as Zeus when he's <laughs> when he's fully grown. I'm not even sure. He's probably like 50 pounds or something now. Like I don't I don't know if he's going to be like a 70 80 pound dog i'm not even sure i'll be that big speaking of i just was reminded did you know that we're only a few weeks out of zeus making his uh his college football predictions this fall oh that's so true i forgot about that i have to get uh zeus back on the back on the prediction train i know you got to get those poster boards ready you got to get Tori involved here. I think we should do a combination where we we help Tori's Instagram feed for your two pups by promoting the page, get some some action of the the food game that you're you're giving these these dogs, um, and then uh, the prediction. Uh, they're locked. I think, you're, I think you're onto something there. I I just uh, I, I think it would work. Um, what's not working, Matt Green? Uh, things in Nebraska, in Lincoln, Nebraska, to be specific. Um, Scott Frost already uh, going into a very difficult season. We talked about Nebraska on the podcast, I believe, last week. And just the the amount of pressure uh, on him to really start putting together some wins because he's recruiting pretty pretty solidly for where Nebraska is at this point. But it, it has to start translating to wins. And now this week it broke that uh, 
the NCAA was investigating Scott Frost for moving some practices off-site where, uh, like, the, the Nebraska officials didn't know about it or couldn't see it or something along those lines. That's part of the alleged claims here. Um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of what's going on at Arizona State a little bit, but um, what do you what do you make of the Scott Frost NCAA uh, drama right now? Well, yeah, that's a good question. So, yeah, like you brought up Arizona State. That's kind of what I was wondering. Like, how many teams were doing this in 2020? You know what I mean? Like, just getting extra work in that was quote unquote illegal. It makes me it makes me wonder. Like, this this feels just like Tennessee and Jeremy Pruitt, doesn't it? Like, they don't. I, no one at Nebraska really cares that he was doing this. But if they can fire him with cause and save the school a bunch of money, that's exactly what they're going to do. And that seems like exactly what Tennessee did with Pruitt. Like, I don't know that this is even that big of a deal, other than obviously it's a national, a global pandemic. Like, it was. We want to take it seriously and everything. But I just. I feel like teams were probably doing this all over the country. I obviously don't have any proof of that, but you just you have to think with a limited amount of time. Like we've we've heard for years that guys are only allowed to spend what is it like twenty hours a week on on football or something, and and scholarship players have said for years like yeah, it's like double that. We spend way more time on football than that. So I don't know. I I think this is like I'm not trying to like make light of it. But it feels like just a choreographed effort for Nebraska to like almost just, you know, just set the table for for eventually firing Scott Frost. Mm. I hadn't even considered that because by all accounts and people more plugged in than myself, like they're not going anywhere at Arizona State. They're writing this out. And I mean, they're Will Wade still roaming the sidelines at LSU. You have Bill Self still just acting like nothing nothing's wrong and they're just moving along at kansas for the basketball violations and everything there i just i think it was Stu Stuart mandel on uh the audible who made this point where it's like there's been a drastic change in how college football or college sports big time college sports react to the ncaa where the ncaa is so crippled these days that the like the baylor stuff just finished up and it was a joke and it took how many years, like with that Art Brile stuff? Like how like many years? Five Dude. years. So they're just looking at it like, I we're going to ride this out. Like the NCAA is not going to make uh, a quick decision on this. We might win a national title. We might win the Pac-12 um, in the next year or two with Jaden Daniels in this group. Why would we do anything? They're not going to do anything now. So I think the fact that there won't be any sort of um, immediate repercussions for their actions make me think that more and more schools are going to do what Stu suggests, which is that like they're just going to ride this out because they don't think uh, any type of sanctions or anything like that uh, will will come down the pike anytime soon. So they would rather win now and figure it out later. Well, um, I agree with that point, but mm-hmm. with all those examples you made, all those teams are doing well. Yeah, you know? it's true. Kansas basketball is good. LSU isn't great, but LSU basketball, you know, is probably as good consistently as it's been in a long time. Same with Arizona State. They seem to actually have some buzz around the program. Like, that's all, that's just positivity coming around the actual on field success of a lot of these teams. Like, that's not happening in Nebraska. Like, I'm not sure it's ever been this bad at Nebraska. That's true. I, I don't know. I'm very interested to see how this goes, but I, 
I, I take your point to the looking for reasons to get it out of this Scott Frost thing. I guess it just depends on, I haven't seen where the sources came from on this one because we, it seems like the sources on what happened in, in Tempe was disgruntled ex-assistants. Wasn't it like Kevin Mawai or somebody was rumored to be uh, a whistleblower oh, yeah, there? I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, and let me go ahead and make sure this clear, like make this abundantly clear that like we're we're all speculating this is all based on other people's reporting and what we're reading and hearing and things like that. But it does seem like it's just a different confluence of events in Tempe than it is in Lincoln. But we also just don't really know, and I'm sure more information is gonna gonna flow out of there in the coming days. But this is also not what you want coming out uh, ahead of a week zero game against Illinois. Like that's right around the corner. Like you do not need this distraction right before kickoff. Like this is not, not at all what Nebraska needs. Cause like you said, in those other instances, they can push this aside because there's positivity and there's excitement. Like Kansas is favored to win the big 12 this fall in basketball, obviously Um, Nebraska does not need these sort of distractions. And you don't need these kind of questions, especially with the new AD as well. Like they just brought in a new AD. Um, and uh, it's not a good look all around. And I, I just wonder how this unfolds and how this, uh, this dark cloud affects Nebraska season where there's so much riding on it. Yeah, and that's why the timing of it, it almost just feels like it's, it's trying to sabotage Scott Frost. Like, not that the athletic department is the one that, like, you know, leaked this story or anything. But, you know, it's kind of, I think it's kind of unidentified sources at this point that kind of showed the the video footage of them practicing or, or whatever happened in this situation. But the timing is definitely terrible. Like what we're, we're 16 days from the start of the foot. And you said they're, they're week zero, right? Yes. So yeah. So they're nine days from the season starting. So yeah, not, not what you want at all. Yeah. August 28th, nine days. And I definitely don't blame the current state of the program on Scott Frost. Like I feel like Nebraska is just, you know, it's a really hard job to return to glory, but um, I think after, you know, three years, well, obviously this will be the third year, you, you got to have some sort of tangible progress. And I think this just feels like laying the groundwork to, say, to save the university some money. Hmm. Um, Terry Wilson, our old friend uh, entering his 23rd collegiate season. Um wins the New Mexico Lobos quarterback job. What do you make of this? Just a just a stunner out there in uh I'm gonna is it Santa Fe? Where where do they play? Where where is Santa where where does sure, let's uh, go with that. Yeah, I think so. Uh would you like to guess New Mexico, they're... right? Not New Mexico State. No, 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 no. Not an Aggie. Okay. The Lobos. Yeah. They they're probably I don't know, they're somewhere out there. Not important. <laughs> Well, I have a question. Who do you think are the two? I know you'll get one. Who are the two most prominent New Mexico Lobo football players of all time? Oh, yeah. They definitely got Erlacher right mm-hmm. off the top. Um, the next one? I'll give you a hint. He has been on this podcast. Oh, man. Who is it? Terrence Mathis, Atlanta Falcons legend. Oh, wow. I had no idea Terrence Mathis was a Lobo. I don't think a lot of people do. What about uh, Rebecca Lobo? But um, terrible. You feel good about that. <laughs> I felt when I when it left my left my mouth, I thought it was good, and then I heard it, and I was like, "That was terrible." 
But well, yeah, that's you, the dad. That's the dad joke. That's where I am in my life. Well, so. you mentioned that like that would have been like a great nil thing, is if like she had played in the nil era in college, like that. Right, she may have gone, gone to New Mexico. Right. Just for that, uh, that probably wouldn't have been the best financial decision for mm-hmm. her. But um, I'm sure she could have made money just being on the UConn women's basketball team. Probably the only profitable like women's basketball team in the country, I would imagine. I don't know. She was a she was an early adopter, and she was an early early star uh, with the Lisa Leslies of the world. And I don't know. She's a pioneer, and also really good. And I think, uh, yeah, shout out to Rebecca Lobo, um, Joey Gatewood. Yeah, she's in that. Uh, she's in that goat cat, uh, conversation for yeah. sure. She's up there. Um, it's still Tarasi for me. Uh, it, it, I understand <laughs> as a Tennessee Tennessee fan, that's that's tough tough to hear, but um it's it's still Tarasi. so who tennessee tennessee were, were probably what going who like Kim oh it's candace parker, parker. about shamika holesclaw back in the day she was a she was a baller oh for sure she's in there kara lawson's in there um she was tennessee too mm-hmm. okay uh, Fair enough. probably candace parker though i think candace parker is um and also just pretty, a great uh, analyst. Pretty strong women's basketball team i don't know if you've heard tennessee they're uh they're pretty good for some years they were. They were. And they're good again. I mean, Kelly Harper's got things moving in the right direction. Um, so I think uh, on both the men's side and the women's side, I think Tennessee is going to be in very good shape. And it's going to be a, a hot ticket this winter because uh, Tennessee is loaded uh, for the men's women's basketball team. school now. Or a baseball school, really. We were just in the College World Series. We're everything but just, football. Just not a football. <laughs> just, just not what the fans desperately want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I don't think George is going to be pivoting to basketball anytime soon. Y'all are pretty much locked in for another SEC worst season out there in Stegman. Man, so much basketball talent coming out of the state of Georgia, too. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's pause real quick for a break for our sponsors, and we'll be right back. All right, we're back on the Chase Homes Podcast, where I am still joined by my old friend, fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green. Matt, let's get into our Big 12 preview. Uh, We only have the SEC left, and then we actually have games to talk about after. We have Week 0 games. We have Nebraska-Illinois to talk about in nine days. Very excited to actually talk about things that happen um, on the field. Uh, I'm very excited. Um, but before we get there, the Big 12, we have some questions um, and we're going to do our over-unders that we're going to modify a little bit this week. And we probably should have modified beforehand. Maybe we'll just like, you know what you could do? You could modify the previous predictions and I can just send you my modified predictions of the the point fives. you know? Yeah, we might could do that. Yeah, to clear up what you're what you're referencing, we, uh, we're adding the hooks mm-hmm. to, to every to every win total because they're just... It was terrible last week looking at, you know, Minnesota over under seven, seven wins. It's like, well, we're both sitting here thinking Minnesota is a seven win team. So giving them that hook, it makes it a lot more interesting, either six and six, seven and five. So, uh, yeah, we'll definitely do that moving forward. I do have one whole number in, uh, in, the, in our Big 12 preview. The rest, the rest have a hook, but um, we'll, uh, we'll get into it. First up, Matt Green, Iowa State 
the most interesting team in this conference, I think, this year because this is a program that has never won 10 games in the regular season. That's the caveat. They've done it, um, including bowl and championship games, but um, they have never, never done it. Matt Campbell's group has never won 10 games outright in the regular season. Um, this is it. Like, I think this is such a big year for them, too, because I don't see any way Texas and Oklahoma are playing football in the Big 12 next year. And if that's the case, this is their their last ride to really make a big statement before things change drastically in the Big 12. Um, do you believe with just the amount of returning talent that Iowa State will get over the hump and beat a loaded Oklahoma team for the Big 12 crown and a possibility at a at a playoff berth? Uh, I just don't see it, honestly. Like, I know they, they got the, the lofty preseason ranking now. I think the AP's got them at, like, seven. And like you said, they returned 19 of 22 starters. Like, Brees Hall, you know, probably best running back in the in the Big 12. You know, maybe B. John Robinson. Yeah. He's, he's right there. Maybe one of the best running backs in the country. And you got Brock Purdy. You have so much back with this team. But I don't know. It's just nine and a half is the over-under on them. And like you said, they've never won 10 games in a regular season. And I'm just, they just seem like a good program. I feel like 10 and two seems like a, another level of, of just a kind of a proven program. Not that they can't win 10 games this year, but just, I think this is going to be the biggest Cyhawk game maybe ever. Like I, I can't think of a year where Iowa state and Iowa both came into the year with, with such expectations that is at home in, in the second game of the season. But, you, you know, you still have to go at Kansas State, at West Virginia, at Oklahoma. You, you do get TCU and Texas at home, Oklahoma State at home. And this just feels like more of a 9-3 and three team to me. Like, I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that there's three teams that should beat them on their schedule. I think there's just multiple of those kind of toss-up games. I just don't think they're going to beat Oklahoma and Norman for one. So you're starting at 11 right off the bat. And I think I was going to be a tough one for them to beat. And I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm struggling to know how much stock to really put into that 2020 team. You know, that that's the best Iowa state team, you know, maybe ever at this point. So it just when I have to sit back and think, is this a ten and two team or is this a nine and three team? I I feel like it's more of a nine and three team. Mm. I I disagree. This feels like a ten and two team to me, and I think this is the year they break through. There's just too much returning talent. If it's not this year, it's not happening anytime soon. I don't think. I think that's definitely true, and I think I think if you see them go ten and two, well, that's the worst thing. It's like. Texas and Oklahoma have like essentially just completely devalued this entire conference moving forward. Right. So like Matt Campbell building this, this program at Iowa state, you know, and you can consistently win nine, 10 games and maybe get top 20, top 25 recruiting classes. Like it's a big 12 team. Like that's, that's a power conference. Like if you win that conference, you're going to the playoff. Like I, I'm afraid Oklahoma and Texas are going to be the reason why Matt Campbell doesn't stick around at Iowa State for, for very long. Like, it's just, it's no longer, it's not really a destination job to begin with, but you could kind of justifying it, be a, uh, justify it being a destination job just because it's in a Power 5 conference. And, you know, if they go 9-3 and three with what is likely the best team they've ever had, I think Matt Campbell's got to take a step back and think like, 
okay, if, what am I trying to do here? Am I trying to just have good seasons and coach football and, you know, just enjoy enjoy Iowa State? Or am I trying to go somewhere where I can win national championships? And I think ultimately that's that's where almost every coach gets to. It's like, yeah, this is this success here is nice, but I want to win national championships. And I think, you know, if there is no Big 12 – Iowa State just isn't an attractive job for, you know, one of the best coaches in college football. My guess is he waits on the Michigan job to open up. Yeah, that could be. But, like, where are they? Like, we don't even know where these teams are going to be, these these other eight, like the Island of Misfit Toys, you know? Like, we know the ACC and Big Ten and Pac-12 are talking about forming an alliance to combat the SEC. It's like that didn't even include the remaining Big 12 teams. So these teams are just in the ultimate limbo. And, you know, depending on which conference you join, you know, it could just dr- dramatically change just the the future of, of what to expect. The fact that the Bulls be in the new Pac-12 AD, I'm never going to pronounce this man's name correctly. Um what is it, Clivier? I'm not going to... Go with that. Yeah. Well, they've met, and based on the bad juju between the AAC and the Big 12, I don't think we're going to see some sort of combination, even though that makes the most logical sense. Um, so, I'm not... A, what is the bad juju? Well, I mean, do you not remember the Big 12? Like, they were upset because the whole report about ESPN and the AAC being involved in this process and just that like the it, oh, okay like they are at odds like just it's it's not a not a thing um i i would i would guess yeah and that feels like the most logical kind of merger mm-hmm. from just a, a brand and also just kind of a geographical standpoint like there's a lot of you know it's houston tulane there seems to be a lot of teams that kind of fit in that you know, that footprint that the Big 12 currently has. Not that, Did you not just that mention Houston and Tulane before you mentioned the team that's a top eight team well, in I the country in Cincinnati? Cincinnati and UCF, I was like, they're not really anywhere close to those Big 12. Well, teams. I mean, they're closer than West Virginia. But yeah, that was, that was what I was about to say. Geography, that kind of went out the window as soon as Missouri joined the SEC East. So mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. Once yeah, I don't did, know. I think the the way to do it is I, I do believe that the Big 12 is just irrevocably broken so i i don't know what i would do is probably split and absorb the top like maybe even not even the top ones but the bottom ones into the aac move a couple to the pac-12 and a couple to the big 10 would be what i would do but i don't know i'm i'm very concerned about the health of the big 12 because i think i did you see that like half of their tv revenue comes from texas and oklahoma alone yeah, I saw that. And that's one thing I saw brought up earlier this week that I thought was a uh, kind of a, a counter argument to what you were saying about Greg Sankey was that when the Oklahoma and Texas, I guess when they've reached out about you know renewing the TV contract and I don't know if it's Fox or whoever has their TV contract was essentially like, yeah, the next TV contract is going to be way smaller than what we currently have. And that's when Texas and Oklahoma were like, you know what, we should probably start looking out for the best for ourselves because no one wants to make less money, right? So especially if it's no if it's no wrongdoing of your own. It's just the fact that your conference just didn't simply just didn't keep up to where you are. Although 
Oklahoma has that argu- argument. Texas doesn't really have that argument because I think if Texas was consistently winning 10 or 11 games, I don't think that we'd have this opinion of the Big 12 being a semi-Power 5 conference like we do. I think Texas is kind of the reason, kind of the how the that one uh, politician from TCU kind of suggested. Like, you have the biggest recruiting budget. Like, you're kind of the reason this conference doesn't look as impressive as it once did. Like, you're, you are one of our big brands, and you're kind of letting everyone down. Yeah. Oklahoma, one of the teams leaving the Big 12 sooner rather than later. Um, obviously, the heavy favorite, Spencer Rattler, um, has shown just a bunch, and he is going to be a stud this fall. That seems... Like a big thing, it's going to be tough for me to watch this Oklahoma team, but I'm glad that Eric Gray and Wanya Morris will not be around when Oklahoma makes the transition to the SEC. But that is my biggest question for them, is Wanya Morris protecting Spencer Rattler's blindside? Because as someone who watched every snap of his last year, he was not good. Like, he was not a good player. And I just wonder, um, being a former five-star, if he figures it out in Norman, but... I'm curious there. And then the other one is the big transfer that I don't know if people know about, which I think is going to just be an absolute steal is Michael Woods from, from Arkansas. That kid is going to be really good. Um, he and Marvin Mims, like Spencer's going to get the ball out to them early and often. I think Eric Gray and Kennedy Brooks will be a nice change of pace situation between the two of them. Um, this Oklahoma offense is going to be scary. And I think the path is quite clear for them to to be a play college ball playoff team again this year i would uh i would bet on that what is the over under matt green we're at 11 and a half mm. so it's essentially are you picking oklahoma to go undefeated or are you picking them to lose one game i think they lose one because they the kansas state stuff just sticks in my mind like i they just will lose a really dumb game they shouldn't to me like i think oklahoma goes 11 and 1 wins the big 12 title game and then goes into the playoff with one loss again i, I don't who uh, yeah. what do you think i feel the exact same way the three of the last four years they've lost a game to an unranked team they mm. haven't they haven't gone undefeated you know in the regular season since 2004 and that was the year i think they got blasted by usc is that yeah, right in the national championship so it's been a long time since they just went through this conference just unscathed. And, you know, I think this the Big 12, you know, might not be as dangerous as it once was. But like you said, like none of these teams that are beating them are, are ever better than them. So it's not like it's some date they have circled or anything. It's It seems to be the dates they don't have circled that always trip them up. So and especially like the last couple of years, like you've seen Texas beat them and you've seen Iowa State beat them. But when they rematch in the Big 12 championship, like with that game circled, I feel like you have, like, you have just no confidence in the in the uh, other team to beat Oklahoma when it when it's all said and done. So I think they are going to be a playoff team, but I think at the end of the day they're going to be 12 and one after they win the conference championship. So I'm I'm going under. I was uh, I was kind of surprised to see you go under as well. They're just built to lose a clunker to like Nebraska at home or Kansas State on the road again. They're just going to, because the, the Kansas State game is at the worst possible spot for them. Do you know where it falls in their calendar? Uh, Remind me. The I'm week before that. Texas. Okay, yeah, that could definitely, I would imagine after losing to them two years in a row, it, it can't be a trap game anymore, right? Like, you, you've got to have that one circled. Like, 
going to the Little Apple, Manhattan, Kansas. Mm-hmm. I think. I think you know you're you're saying the week before Texas uh, could be there where they slip up. I think it could be the week after Texas. They have TCU. It's at home, but I think TCU is kind of a team people are sleeping on, and I just think that that seems to be where Oklahoma falls when they're just kind of you know depending on what time that game is. If it's a noon home game or something like that, a game they just come out and aren't necessarily ready to play. Although last year with Kansas State, it was. They were up big, and then they kind of just slept through the fourth quarter, and Kansas State came back. So, yeah, I think they're going to be the best team in the Big 12, but but I'm also not predicting that undefeated season. Hmm. Next up, Oklahoma State. Why not Spencer Sanders in the Cowboys this year, Matt Green? Well, the over-under is at 7.5, which that's not too bad. So just looking at their schedule, it's – it's not the toughest schedule. Like they have to go at Boise State, they have to go, you know, at Texas, at Iowa State, and, and so those are those are some of the best teams in the Big Twelve. At Morgantown, uh, at West Virginia is always a tough one. It seems like, but I don't know. Spencer Sanders with another year under his belt. Like I just feel like Oklahoma State seems like just. You know, outside of Oklahoma, they seem to have the highest floor of any team in the Big 12, just year in, year out. I think the last six years, I think there's only one year that they've won less than eight games. So I I just, I I don't, I'm not necessarily basing it the most, like, in fact, because I wasn't necessarily that impressed with Spencer Sanders last year, but I feel like we see a little more growth and... Like, eight and four just doesn't, like, Oklahoma State just has, like, high expectations. They seem like a more, you know, just legitimate football program than some of these other teams in the Big 12. And I think eight and four isn't isn't a uh, a good season for Oklahoma State. So if they can go eight and four and, and still, you know, get the over, that, that's where I'm thinking. Like, the only losses I would just pencil in right off the bat are Oklahoma and, uh, and Iowa State. I mean, they beat Iowa State last year, but this year it's, it's going to be in uh, in Ames. So Boise State's also going to be a tough one on the road, but I, that that's three games right there. So I, I'm I'm thinking they could still trip up one more time and and get a, be an eight and fourteen. I don't know what they did to deserve at Texas and at Iowa State back to back, but like you said, Boise on the road, FS one nine o'clock following a Tulsa game at home Tulsa's good like they were that's fair like that's just a brutal kind of out of conference schedule for them where they don't have a lot of room to drop those games when you look at their their schedule because like I just have penciled in Texas Iowa State um Oklahoma that's three I would say at West Virginia looks a little terrifying um I don't know. The schedule also, it just feels like eight and four to me though. Like I will say this Oklahoma state feels like an eight and four team. So just give me, give me eight and four. And I'm very curious to see what Spencer Sanders looks like this year. Does he put it all yeah. together? Without a doubt. And I like Mike Gundy too. So like, I, I just feel like it, it doesn't seem like the bad years. They miss a bowl game. You know, it seems like the bad years, they're a seven win team. And so maybe seven is enough to, uh, to be down, but uh, yeah, I like him to get the over. True or false, Matt Green. Gunnar Gundy is a quarterback and son of Mike Gundy on this on this roster this year. <laughs> I would say true. That is true. Gunnar Gundy into the fold, freshman in Stillwater. Oh man, I always 
it always seems weird for me to me for like the the coach's son to be on the team when he's not like a big time prospect, right? It just it I don't know. You're like the the seventieth guy on the roster, and your dad's the head coach. It just seems like such a strange dynamic. Not like Doug McDermott being like the star player for his dad's team. You know, I don't know. It's it's a uh, it's an interesting dynamic. Mm. Um, TCU, their upside at QB takes them where this fall, Matt Green? I'm going to say true. I think uh, seven and a half is also the, the point total for them. And just, you know, looking at the schedule, they go, their road games are tough. They go at Oklahoma, at Oklahoma State, at Iowa State, and at Kansas State. Um, as well as at Texas Tech, but I think that's I don't think that's going to be one of the tougher ones. Out of conference, they have Duquesne, Cal, and SMU, and so I think those are all winnable games right there. Like not, Cal isn't necessarily a you know automatic, but I like Max Duggan a lot. And I think Max Duggan. I think we we kind of talked about him being the the diet Sam Ellinger a year ago. Like I think he could be better than Sam Ellinger. Like I think he can. You know, he's he's a legitimate you know, like running game all on his own. And I think if he stay, if he takes some strides as a passer, I think, I think Texas tech or I think TCU can, can definitely get to that eight win total as well as the five-star running back, Zach Evans, like Texas, or I keep saying Texas tech, TCU doesn't get five-star mm-hmm. recruits, you know? So for a guy like Zach Evans, obviously they had kind of off the field, uh, issues about him coming into college but you know you didn't really hear about any, anything any wrongdoing for him as a freshman i think as a sophomore he could definitely be a breakout player become you know one of the more dynamic players in this conference but with uh with max duggan i i like him to get over that seven and a half it was weird because didn't he like kind of he, he spurned a&m right didn't it seem like evans was going to be an aggie for the longest time and then it was just kind of out of left field that he he went to TCU well, and we saw this. Was, yeah, yeah, he was with A and M, but he signed with Georgia. That's right. In early signing day, and then Georgia essentially just didn't accept his his uh, his letter of intent, so that's why he kind of had to go back to the drawing board. And I guess you know, there's some programs kind of uh, scared off by by some of his red flags, which I think was I think the thing he got suspended for. Or he was suspended for like the state championship because he wouldn't give up his phone mm. to his high school coach. Like they were taking everyone's phones, and he was like, "Nah, you're not taking my phone." I guess, and didn't play in the state championship. Like that's that's a wild story to me. So I think the, the the coach kind of spoke to his high school coach, kind of spoke to his character, and I think that kind of chased some teams away. But um, you know, I'm not gonna act like he's he's. He is who he is at 17, 18 years old. This guy could easily mature and, and become one of the better running backs in college football. No, if there's one thing I know for certain, Matt Green, it's we are who we are at 17 to 18 years old. <laughs> God, I hope not. Mm, I, I, am a comp- I shouldn't say I'm a completely different person, but 17, 18-year-old Chase versus 30-year-old Chase is, is night and day. I mean, even the, this version of myself versus the version that you and I were roaming North Georgia um like that's just a very different thing i I imagine you probably think of yourself as very different right oh yeah without a doubt i um especially you look at like the 
So was the uh, off the uh, off the rails here. If you look at just like the TV shows and stuff, mm-hmm. you, you thought were funny. The movies you thought were funny when you're 17, 18 years old. I try to show them to my fiance now. And I'm just like, all right, yeah, this wasn't that, this wasn't that good of a movie. <laughs> like, sorry, I thought I thought I remember it being hilarious. Yeah, I think it's like every sports movie of all time too. It's like this was great when I was 13, and it it does not age well at all. Um, also, I'm really it, there's sports movies. No, I just don't think they age well. Like sports movies, generally speaking, are just they when when you're younger, they you're just like, oh, like it, it's a lot more heartwarming and you don't notice the acting. You don't notice just the the over the topness of it um, for me. I don't know. I just enjoyed sports movies a lot more when I was younger than I do as an adult. Like Speaking as an adult, of- I like Goon. Goon is like still my favorite sports movie that I've ever seen. I've never uh, even heard of that, to be honest. See, Sean, <laughs> Sean William Scott, Stifler is the main character oh, in it. Oh, hockey? Yeah. Oh, I have heard of that. Okay. It's good. I, I would recommend it. not aging well. Have you ever seen Fast Times or Ridgemont High? I never saw it, I don't think. I saw that movie for the first time, like, I don't know, a couple months back. Mm-hmm. And, like, it was legit, like, a 14-year-old girl, 15-year-old girl, like, dating, like, a 25-year-old dude. It's so weird. Like... It's so strange. Yikes. Like this is this is not okay. Cancelled. Pastimes at Ridgemont right. High. Um, which naturally leaves us leads us to Dave Aranda and the Baylor Wait, Bears. Hold on, hold on. Did you mm-hmm. go over? Oh, I'm going under. Over? You're going under. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um Dave Aranda, year two in Waco. Um, cleaned house on offense because it was an, a disaster. Charlie Brewer left the program. He's at Utah now. Um, Baylor is, is kind of scrambling. And it's kind of funny because it reminds me of what's going on at LSU a little bit, where you had this success. You were a New Year's six bowl type team. You built this great brand. You were just, you were becoming a powerhouse in the South. And um, but there were questions about the head coaching aspect and if you were the right CEO for the program long term. And we still have questions about that with Ordron, but we have questions about that with this former longtime DC, Dave Aranda. Um, I don't Except know. Like, for at least Ordron as the head coach, they've actually put it all together and been a good team. Right. I guess it's just what I'm saying is like the questions of like, are we sure this guy's like if if his staff is not elite and his talent's not elite that he can he can do this consistently like does he actually do the in-game stuff does he have enough juice elsewhere to to make it work when you don't have joe burrow putting up record-setting seasons like i just i i think the same kind of questions are probably gonna be true in baylor where it's like if you don't have the talent that you had at lsu on defense do you hire well enough on offense to offset that while you try and retool this defense and at big 12 that is increasingly defense friendly um to do that, he hired the OC who worked with Zach Wilson um, for the last year and put it together a record-setting season in uh, in BYU. And Jeff Grimes is a very different uh, play caller and offensive schemer than what Larry Fedora ran in Waco last year. Do you believe that Jeff Grimes' addition will get the Baylor Bears back on track? Um, I think it could definitely this offense and it, it definitely should uh the over under is at five mm. i'm i'm not sure they get over that or i should say five and a half um i'm not sure they get over that i, I feel like 
But to speak to what you said, it feels like this is kind of a burden that we put on defensive-minded head coaches. Mm -hmm. Like, it feels like when you don't have a good team, when you you first get there, you don't have a good year, and then you your offense isn't good, it feels like we're already writing off the defensive head coaches. Whereas, like, the offense, the offensive guys are scoring points, but your defense is just awful for four or five years— you feel like if the offense is good, like, you know, there's there's something to work around. You know, there's a, there's some potential there. But I say that, and then at the same time, I, I, I'm I still unsure about Dave Aranda because, you know, you just don't really have anything to hang your hat on, right? Like, so you're the defensive guy, right? Well, you were 63rd in the country in opponents' points per game. Like, that's not very good, right? It's just first year, but, you know, you're coming off of, you know, one of the best years – Baylor's had since uh, for totally blanking on the old head coach's name. Uh, the guy, all this stuff just came out about Art Bryles. So it's like the best year since Art Bryles uh, left uh, under under Matt Rule, and then you immediately follow that up with a two and seven season. Like obviously they, they lost a lot from that 2019 team, but you know this should have been a bold a bold team if you're if you're really going to build off that 11 and three year. So this isn't the same as, you know, Texas firing their coach and then you're coming to take over. Like, their coach was doing so well, he went to the NFL. So you felt like that should have been, you know, a better program to inherit. But looking at their schedule, like, they're at Kansas, at Oklahoma State, at TCU, at Kansas State. Like, those aren't the worst. Uh, that's not the worst road schedule for a Big 12 team. It's probably one of the one of the easier ones, but... Still, I feel like I'm I'm struggling to see where this team is gonna manage six wins. So I'm I'm definitely going under on Baylor. I think it comes down to the BYU game, and they get it at home, the Jeff Grimes Bowl. Uh, I think BYU lost a lot, and I think because of that easy early slate for Baylor, I think they'll they'll mess around and win six games. I'm gonna say Baylor gets six, so give me the over. All right. Texas, how much will he miss Sam Ellinger this fall in Austin? And Bijan Robinson, who Steve Sarkeesian has emphasized is going to be the bell cow back in Austin. What are what are his Heisman odds going into this season? I don't know his Heisman odds, but I think he's like top ten. He's he's definitely up there. Uh yeah, I think Bijan Robinson, like we said with Brees Hall, I think those are the the two best running backs in the Big 12. Maybe in um, college football as a whole. Yeah, honestly, maybe in college football. But um, the over-under on them is eight. This is the only one we don't have a hook on. So mm. they're, they're just at eight. No no pun intended for uh, <laughs> not putting a hook on, on hook them. But mm. I, um, I'm struggling to see how this team is going to uh, – find eight wins so like just looking at the schedule they they only have three home games in the big 12 this year which you know in a in a nine game in a conference with a nine game schedule you're you're gonna have you know some of the teams are gonna have five home games some of the teams are gonna have four and this is the year for for them to have four and then they also have the oklahoma game at a neutral site so I think that's a, a really bad draw for a team with a first team head, first year head coach. You also talk about the Raging Cajuns to open the season. Like, that's not going to be an easy game at Arkansas. Like, I think Arkansas was way better than anyone thought they were going to be last year. I think they only ended up winning, like, four games or so. 
but they showed they showed signs of life for sure and that's a that's gonna be a prime time espn game in fayetteville like that's gonna be a rowdy atmosphere and i i wouldn't i'm not gonna say i'm gonna predict owen two necessarily but i would be shocked if they come out of those first two games two and oh like i don't think i don't think they're gonna win both of those games and then you just have just such a such a tough road schedule in conference like at at TCU, at Iowa State, at West Virginia. I'm just – and then obviously um, Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl. So I'm struggling to find eight wins, so I'm going to go under. I'm surprised we're going to agree on this because I actually I, – I do agree, and I, I like that you made the point about the first two games because I don't know if a lot of people are ready for this, but, like, there's a real possibility they, they open with a loss to the Cajuns. Like they went, the Raging Cage, remember, went on the road and beat Iowa State to open last year. Um, this is a good team. Billy Napier's a good coach. And I I don't know. I, I think the, like you said, the odds of the Longhorns going 2 0 to start out is pretty slim to me. Um, and then, like you said, at TCU, at Baylor, even Oklahoma State at home, following the Oklahoma back and forth is going to be, going to be difficult at Iowa State. Um, I, I agree. This feels like a seven and five team. And also these big 12 teams are going to get up for the Longhorns. Like Oklahoma is going to be able to withstand um, just being the villain where just teams are going to really go out to uh, just go at these two programs that um, are leaving them behind for the SEC. But like Oklahoma is just a well-oiled machine. They're going to be fine. You can be mad at Oklahoma. They're still going to drop 57 on you like that's still going to happen texas i don't trust that in that same respect i think they're going to get a lot of teams best haymakers this fall and it's going to be ugly i think they're it's going to be kind of hilarious to see how they come into the sec because i think it's going to be kind of like a this is what you guys want this is this is what you're dying to to add to this conference is this seven and five longhorn program like with this much talent that can't beat baylor on the road and 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 on halloween weekend like that is that is a real thing that i am expecting uh this fall and i uh i don't know and i think losing sam ellinger really hurts ellinger was maybe the most underrated quarterback of the last four years in college football i think when he played not just underrated he's just so much He's just the biggest percentage of what they did. Yes. Right? Like, I don't have a stat, but, you know, just a, one person accumulating just a team's entire offense, like, that that seems like what Elliger was. Like, obviously, he had Robinson leading him in rushing last year, but, and they just went seven and three. So it's like they weren't a bad team last year. They just, he got fired. Herman got fired for just, for only being seven and three, right? For being good and not great. So, you know, we, the the negativity around Texas might be, you know, a little overrated just because they, they have been a good team the last couple of years. Like, they haven't been bad. They're just not at Texas's level of what they want. So they could they could definitely be an 8-4 team. But I just – I think in a first-year head coach, like, it's just – it's not an indictment on a bad a bad year in year one. Like, Nick Saban went, what, 7-6 and six year one, like – Kirby went like eight and five year one. Like there's, there's plenty of examples of coaches that take, and especially you're taking over a program. That's not a finished product by any means. Like Ryan day and Lincoln Riley obviously took over very different programs than what, uh, Sarkeesian is taking over at Texas right now. So if they go seven and five year one, like 
I hope there's not one Texas fan in the country thinking, oh, I wonder if he's the guy for the job, another seven-win season, because that would just be that would just be dumb. I agree. But I'm still going under. What is the expectation? What do Kansas State fans want out of year three of Chris Kleiman and the Wildcats? I feel like you just got to make a bowl game, right? Like... You know, you might need to do a little bit better than that, but the the over under is at five and a half on them. Like they they weren't they weren't great last year. You know, four and six, and I think they lost. They went on like a what, like five game losing streak to end the season a year ago. So it wasn't good. Lost a lot of close games, but you also you know gave up sixty nine points to Texas last game of the season, forty five to zero at Iowa State. Like those are some pretty big losses, but. You know, you know I'm a big Deuce Vaughn fan. Let him in a true freshman last year. Let him in receiving and rushing. This guy is just a, a dynamic player, like one of the best players in the Big 12, just on an individual level. Skylar Thompson, you know, he he should be the guy uh, in 2021. I still, I still need to see a lot more from him, but you know, a five and a half just seems pretty reasonable, and I think. I think Kansas State is going to be a bold team. So I, I, I tend to think over for them. I, I tend to agree as well. Um, I'm very curious to to see what they look like this fall with a competent quarterback again. And like you said, Deuce Vaughn is maybe the most exciting running back in college football that no one knows about. A lot of exciting running backs in this conference. Um, very excited to see what they all do. Well, um, how what, do you feel about at Stan or not at Stanford, but in Jerry world to open up the year uh, versus Stanford? I think that that's going to go a long way in them getting over or under that five and a half win total. I think they should win that game. I think they're better than Stanford at this point. Stanford is not even a guarantee to get six wins on their own. I think Stanford's in, in bad shape and they're replacing David Mills under center. Um, no, Give me, give me the Wildcats. I think, uh, give me the over there. Yeah, I think so too. And the the road the road schedule is is manageable. Like at Oklahoma State, at Texas Tech, at Kansas, at Texas. Like, I think they should be at least a six win team. I almost, I kind of have a feeling they're going to be more of a seven and five team. Honestly. Hmm. Um, let's move to West Virginia, who I have written down is the new Oklahoma State. The new Oklahoma State. Please explain, sir. So Neil Brown is a really good coach. He inherited kind of a bad situation. His scheme and his offense was very different than what Dana Holkerson was running year over year. Uh, West Virginia, obviously having to deal with the tough travel uh problems where they're just flying a lot they're traveling more than any other team in the big 12 Uh, that's an inherent disadvantage there um but they're a defense first team where we just have this memory of the 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 pat whites the geno smiths and that's just not not who they are anymore and if you watch the the mountaineers now like they're just they're very smart and jared was a better better quarterback under center than that uh the previous uh quarterback under center which was the oklahoma transfer that uh, his name is escaping me at the moment who was quite bad um for one year uh but 
West Virginia is built on their defense. Like they're going to win 27 to 20. They're going to make life difficult for you. They're not going to give a lot of big plays. They are going to uh, look for long dink and dunk drives and bury you that way. This is kind of what Oklahoma State is turning into, where when I look at their roster, it's just the defense is what keeps them going year over year now, even though they have this talent with Tylen Wallace's and Chuba Hubbard's and Spencer Sanders, that kind of thing. But like they still live and die by their defense, and that's what keeps them keeps them afloat. I think that's what West Virginia is becoming, where they're like they're just solid. They have a great coach. We like Gundy. We like Neil Brown. Like it's a it's a low ceiling, high floor situation where like Gundy will never win a national title there. Neil Brown will never compete for national titles in Morgantown, but what he will do, his worst season, six and six, seven and five, and his absolute best is nine and three. And it just feels like that's that's where they're at. They're going to be aggressively competent yet again this year. You said a lot of stuff, but um, the over-under is at six and a half. Mm-hmm. So where what does that do to your over-under pick? Six and a half feels right. Like that That's tough for me because... And look at the schedule, not to interrupt. You open it at Maryland in College mm-hmm. Park. They should beat then, that game. They and should then win third that game. Excuse me. Virginia Tech they get in Morgantown. And so that's gonna be a noon kickoff. I just I don't know. Maybe it's just a. I don't even know if this is if this is a rational belief at this point, but I just feel like West Virginia is such a tough place to play. Like I, I wouldn't even know what their record was over the last five years or so if I if I looked it up. But it's just like a vibe, right? It just seems like they have an electric atmosphere, and it just seems to be a place that, you know, some of those better teams in the Big 12 just kind of always have a, uh, you know, kind of lay an egg when they're in Morgantown. So I, I definitely believe in their in their home field. They go at TCU, at at uh, Kansas State, at Kansas. So getting Kansas to be one of your road games, I think, is a huge uh, benefit a huge advantage to any team trying to get over one of these hooks, you know, because Kansas is just awful. So you almost don't want to waste a home game on Kansas because you could probably beat them anywhere. Right. So I, I tend to looking at six and a half, like I think Oklahoma's a loss. I don't think they go undefeated in the non-conference. I don't know if it's Maryland. I don't know if it's Virginia tech. They also play Long Island University didn't even know they had a football team, but they also played them at a conference. They could go three and zero at a conference, but I, I kind of think they'll they'll trip up with one of those ACC or Big Ten teams. But I still think they can they can manage to be a seven a seven win team this year. So I'm gonna go I'm gonna go over on on West Virginia. Hmm. I I'm gonna go over too, and also when I look at the schedule, I get irrationally angry every year but the backyard brawl is just not on the schedule anymore yeah that and that's one of the one of the many uh, casualties of all this conference realignment because i mean those those schools are are legit like two hours apart from each other right like they're I mean, that's one of the longest rivalries in college sports like there's no marshall on this schedule like what are we doing here you can put on Maryland and Virginia Tech and LIU, but you can't put on Marshall and It is cool to Pitt. see them play teams like Maryland and Virginia Tech, though. I feel like that's what – I would just like to see way more of those games out of conference, those regional out-of-conference Power 5 matchups, you know, seeing seeing Georgia Georgia play a, a Clemson or a, a like a North Carolina or something, something like that. It's just – I think that's, that's good for the sport when it's just such a – 
there's such regional rivalries in college football. It's just kind of what made it the sport that it is. Like you said, that backyard brawl with, with Pittsburgh, like that needs to be on their schedule every year. And then maybe if they go to the ACC, maybe maybe they get that game back. But um, but I don't know. Max agrees. Um, I'm gonna go under. Give me six. <laughs> this is a difficult schedule. Give me give me the under here. Um, last two. Let these are the two worst programs in in the Big Twelve. I, that's the that's the reason I saved them for last. We don't have to spend a lot of time on them, so I would I prefer we combine them. Texas Tech, who is glad I written down Kansas exists to keep them from being the the ultimate cellar dweller <laughs> in the Big Twelve. Um, and does Kansas win a game? Um, to start with your second question, I <laughs> I think Kansas might win one game. Mm-hmm. I think what well, who they have at a conference. I think they open up with someone Duke, uh, right? They have Duke, and they open with South Dakota. Yeah. So, like, I'm not going to pretend to know anything about the South Dakota Coyotes. I know about the Jackrabbits, South Dakota State, but don't know anything about South Dakota. After losing to Coastal Carolina in last year's opener, they're actually going to Conway, South Carolina in, in 2021 to, to play the Clears. That's an L. So, I I mean, I would have to assume at Duke is also an L. So, I think one is like the maximum. And I think you're going you're gonna to figure that out. Uh, not even the, on September 4th. They're going to play that Friday before. So I think they're going to find out if they go over under in, in literally the first week of the season. And I'm going to go under. Hmm. Okay. What what, what was Texas Tech's over under? Oh, yeah. Uh, but Kansas was at one and a half, by the way. That's mm-hmm. their over under. But Texas Tech is at four and a half. And it's just kind of crazy how quick this program has fallen. Like... I mean, this is just one of those, like, under under Mike Leach, it's just one of those teams you can kind of guarantee year in and year out they're going to be tough. Like, they're going to be a tough uh, week for anybody. And it's, you know, we're going on, what is five straight years of them without a winning record. So, you know, one bowl appearance in the last five years. So I, I'm, it's kind of crazy to see Texas Tech at this point especially when when their offense isn't even you know where it should be like it's one thing if they're scoring points and just giving up a lot on the other side but their offense isn't even where they once were and you know i'm not, I'm not seeing this team getting five wins on this schedule yeah i don't either uh i'm banging the but you know what's gonna surprise you matt green i'm banging the under for uh texas tech and i think this is it for matt wells um in lubbock uh and i will say Kansas gets two. Lance Leopold's too good of a coach. He's getting going two. Over. I'm going over. Last year they were um they they scored fifteen point eight points per game. Do you know where that ranked out of 128 teams? One twenty seventh? hundred and twenty fourth. Mm. And then they allowed forty six points per game. Do you know where that ranked? <sighs> one twenty. 128. Oh, man. Was that the worst? Very last in the country. 46 mm. points per game. You just hear 46 points per game. You're like, that has to be the worst in the country, right? Well, and I was thinking it, about some other conferences, uh, some teams where it's like their defense sucked, but they're off. I was trying to, th- I, was, I was thinking, uh, I don't know. Yeah. That was... I think they only had two games that they lost by less than 20 points last year. Like, they were just getting absolutely annihilated. I, um, 
The one and a half is an interesting line for sure because all they have to do is win two games, but I still I still don't even think they'll do that. Well, there you go. Matt Green, the Big 12. It's completed. What do you think? Uh, I'm surprised how many we agreed on in this conference. I feel like we agreed on on almost everyone other than what we got. Kansas State. Kansas. TCU, Kansas. And oh no, we got a few. We got a few disagreements. I was yeah. looking at that wrong. Yeah, we got a few in there. Well, we have the SEC next week, so I suspect we'll have a lot of major disagreements there. Yeah, this uh, SEC, the the finale. It should uh, should be real interesting. And then games, games to talk about. Sunday pods, recapping games. It's it's here. We can finally do that again. Call uh, high school sports. So we'll be back on our Georgia high school beat. We missed that. Oh yeah, we'll have to uh, we'll have to get back on that. I um, I'm, I'm I told Tori we're gonna we're gonna make it to a Decula game this fall. So don't we'll, make promises you can't keep, Matt. I'm holding we, you. I to gotta it. look at the schedule. I'm hoping we can uh, maybe some big time prospects or something. I'll play a game at Decula. I can kill two birds with one stone. I think that would be wise. That would be wise, Matt Graham. Support the the local athletic teams, and maybe because I'm here in Knoxville now, I I'm gonna maybe I'll just add the the Knoxville flavor. Um, I watched Walter Nolan um, at Powell the other day, so I was watching the tape. That is a large high school senior, like a, a very large large well, he man. Transferred somewhere, right? Like in within Knoxville. Uh, well, he transferred from I believe uh, was he Memphis? He was somewhere outside of Knoxville, I want to say, but he transferred into uh, just outside of Knoxville at Powell High School which is like 20 minutes out. Ten, is Tennessee liking the chances so far? They're, I mean, they're in good shape. Tennessee's I mean, in good a, shape. He's what he released like a top three. Top yeah. Five they're in the top three. Okay. Yeah. Walter Nolan, very large, large human, but you watch it and you're like, there's some Kim Dietschy vibes there where he's in the defensive line and he just breaks through. And I don't know how you block him on the high school level. It's uh, it's wild to see. It's very unfair. Um, but yeah, Matt green, we can follow you on Twitter at Matt underscore w underscore green uh email us at chase podcast at gmail.com if you have any college football questions you would like for us to answer on this very show uh go to sports if you'd like to read all of all of my stuff that i'm pouring through every day and if uh you like listening to matt and i talk it up with college football leave us a five-star rating and a review on apple podcast if that is how you are listening on this feed matt i will talk to you next week sec it just means more just means more sir nicely done nephew chase thomas podcast hell yeah